With LinkedIn Jobs, we tap into a network of more than a billion professionals to help you find quality professionals quickly and easily for any role you need. Marketing wizards? Found them. Software engineers? Found. That project manager I could never seem to hire? And found. LinkedIn Jobs quickly matches your roles with candidates with the right skills and experience. In fact, 86% of small businesses get a qualified candidate within 24 hours. Post your first job for free and get started at linkedin.com slash spoken. That's linkedin.com slash spoken. Terms and conditions apply. Hi to everyone. I'm Gunter Steiner and you're listening to Beyond the Grid. Hi F1 fans, Tom Clarkson here, welcoming you to another edition of Beyond the Grid, presented by Bose QuietComfort 35.2 wireless headphones. Those of you who've watched the Netflix series Formula One Drive to Survive will be familiar with the star of this week's show, and particularly his colourful language. But the show highlighted much more than his love of the F-bomb. His passion for racing and his honest and forthright management style came across in spades. I'm talking, of course about the team principal of Haas, Gunter Steiner. Gunter has had a fascinating career across a wide array of motorsport categories, culminating in the top job at Haas. But he didn't walk into a ready-made team. Along with owner Gene Haas, Gunter spent two years building the team from scratch, and the results have been phenomenal. They finished sixth in their first Grand Prix and took fifth in the Constructors' Championship last year. We caught up in the heat of the Bahrain desert to talk about his life in F1 and where the Haas journey is headed next. But first up, we had to discuss his newfound fame. Well, Gunter, welcome to Beyond the Grid. It's great to have you on the show. So it seems you've become a bit of a celebrity. Um, what with your starring role on F1 Drive to Survive, the new Netflix series. How do you reflect on that? <laughs> I don't really know. Uh, everybody tells me, but to be completely honest, I didn't watch it because I, I actually don't, don't, and this is honest, I don't like to watch myself because then you start to think, should I have been different or should I do things different? And I don't want to do things different, so I don't watch it. And you could say you don't want to learn. I think it's not uh, th about the learning. It's more like it's, it's, it's just I don't like to watch myself. Now, what about this bad language, Gunter? Where did you learn to swear so brilliantly in English? In England. <laughs> <laughs> Being too much with English people, I guess, you know. So uh, 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 it, it's quite a bad language uh, sometimes, but it's never uh, meant to offend anybody or to persons, you know, uh, relating to persons. So it's more an expression. And I, I'm not trying to talk it right, you know. It shouldn't be there, but it's part of the game when you're competitive because in the normal in the normal day's work it's a lot better I mean uh, you don't get me but uh, Netflix it was uh, uh, behind the scenes what they showed and uh, that is how it works so just to make it clear my wife was not impressed by the language and <laughs> what about your daughter you've got your <laughs> she's not allowed to watch it you know uh, that my wife said Greta doesn't gonna go and watch it you know she's still too young my daughter is 10 years old so uh, we ignore it Netflix you know so, no, it never happened you know But how was it when they were filming? Because, I mean, I know they've been doing stuff um, here in Bahrain with the team as well. Do you know that the cameras are there, or do you feel very relaxed? Uh, it, it's almost difficult to explain. For me, it's not a lot of work. They put the mic on you and they film you. They have to work. I don't have to work because I, I am like I am. I, I, I cannot change anything because then I don't do my job. And as I'm not an actor, I'm not going to act. I'm going to do my job. And if they don't like what they film, it's their problem and not mine. 
if they like it. Again, uh, uh, some things, uh, but, but again, they, they are very fair and say, this is what happened, are you okay to, uh, to broadcast it? And I think it's for the fans uh, to see how we actually do, and we are, I'm not acting because I couldn't do that. Uh, first of all, I'm not good at it, and uh, I, I don't look good anyway, so, uh, uh, but it, it's, no, it's not a lot of work for me, it's putting a mic on, and then, and then you just do your work and go along, and that for you see this uh, 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 honesty, you know? Well, it, it, honesty is a great word because I felt it was quite an insight into your management style. Lots of passion, lots of honesty. What you see is what you get. Is that, is that a fair description of your management style? Absolutely. I, I always, uh, I'm always speak with, with people very clear. Some, some people think I'm too direct, but uh, I think as long as you don't offend people, just to be clear, it gives them a chance to, uh, if, if there is something we discuss or we don't agree on, it gives them a chance to get a proper, my view on how I see it. And I, 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 I respect uh, people answering back to me, I actually want that. I, I don't want uh, yes sir people. You know, I want people which come back with me. With uh, uh, But I, I think to start the dialogue honest, I need to be the honest one. I cannot back them, yeah, it should be, and, and paint everything a little bit pink. No, no, this is reality. Let's talk about it. I mean... How has your relationship with Roman Grosjean been affected by it? Has it? Because you came down quite heavy on him. I think there's a scene, isn't there, at the French Grand Prix last year where you're, <laughs> you're properly sticking the boot in. Absolutely. But, uh, but when I speak about him, I speak like this with him. And he knows me now well enough. I, I, I think we never spoke about this Netflix thing with him uh, because it's no need. We, I think we sorted our... If, if there would have been a problem, why would, I, why would we sign him another year? I think we, this helped him to get over his dishonesty, to help him get over his uh, uh, problems in the beginning of the year. And the second half of the year, last year, he had a fantastic year. I mean, he, did, he, he was the Roman we, we are used to. And I always told him, buddy, you know how to do it. You just need to get it back. I don't know where it is, but, uh, you know, come on, get up. And, and you know, and sometimes... Uh, when I speak like this, it's also my sarcasm in there. And people which know me can in interpret that. You know, some people maybe on TV, they say that, that, that was harsh, but there is also a lot of, of sarcasm in these things. Now, we've done Netflix, we've done Grosjean, but just Haas as a whole, um, how's it going? What's your progress report after three and a bit years? In general, it's, uh, uh, it's going uh, pretty well, I would say. I mean, we, you always can be better. I mean, you should, we, we should never be content until you win everything. And then when you win everything, you have to do it for less money. There's always something to aim for. But in general, for uh, uh, the only thing what I can compare it with, with the, uh, with the last teams which started from new, maybe, when was it, uh, nine, nine years ago, there, there was a few new teams. They're not around anymore. We started from new, score points in our first race. Up to now, never finished last in the World Championship. Uh, so uh, last year we finished fifth. We could have got fourth. We made too many mistakes. Uh, therefore, we finished fifth, but it's still pretty good. In general, as a team, I think we keep on making progress. I think we have got a, a group of very good people together with the, uh, the, the same philosophy of how to conduct business stroke racing. And uh, uh, I think for the F1 fan, uh, to have a new team, to have an underdog like us, because we are a small team compared with, with some of the other ones, to have an underdog to fight with the big boys, it is quite interesting. And for sure it's interesting for us. So all in all, I would say 
there's not a lot of negatives to report. I think there's been a, it's been a huge success story, both for yourselves and for Formula One. But is there anything you would have done differently in hindsight? There, there is not one big thing which I would have done differently. And again, this is uh, maybe difficult to explain. Is Obviously, if you look back and you say, oh, I would do everything the same, that would be being quite ignorant because you always can do better. And with the benefit of the hindsight, you would do things a little bit different. You would not make mistakes you made, you know. I mean, the, the most simple to explain it is uh, the, the, the pit stop problems we have all, we seems to be have got always in Australia, at least the last two years. Yeah, if I would have known that before, we would have done something different. But it's more things like this where you look back, we should have done different, but not in general how we, our business model, how, how we came in, uh, how, how we conduct ourselves, how we race. I, I, wouldn't, I wouldn't change a lot. You know, I think you always can tweak, I mean, but nothing big. Gunter, what about the bigger picture stuff? You, you've got this partnership with Ferrari. Would you, in hindsight, perhaps have gone with Mercedes? Because give, look at the success of their power unit over the last three years. I'm sort of bigger picture stuff. Yeah. Would you have done that differently? No. Uh, I mean, now looking back, I'm very happy with Ferrari because, again, I should say, oh, uh, we could have done with Mercedes because they had, they had the better engine. But in the moment, I'm very happy with what Ferrari is doing for us. You know, even if they've got maybe uh, uh, in the beginning they had a little bit less horsepower, I think now they are very equal, by the way. But in the beginning, it's like there was other things. It's not only about the power unit. There's other things you learn, uh, you work together. Uh, uh, I've got, we have got very, very a good relationship with them. So, no, I wouldn't. What about Delara? Um, and can you just explain for people at home what they do for you and how, how sort of the car is put together? More than welcome. <laughs> I don't know how long I'm going to talk about this. No, no. Just to explain, the Lara is, is, a, is a race car and car manufacturer. They work for OEMs on, on road cars as well. Uh, but in, uh, I think they are the leader now in the world on making uh, one make series. They've got good expertise in producing race cars. They haven't done an F1 car for a long time now. But how we work with the Lara is uh, we have got our, a group of our own people there. In the beginning, it was too difficult to find all the right people. So we went back and said with Dallara, I know Mr. Dallara since more than 20 years. You know, he's the engineering pope in Italy, uh, Giampaolo. <laughs> and uh, 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 so we, uh, we went there, spoke with the CEO, Andrea Pontreo, and said, this is what we want to do. Do you think we can work together on this? So we uh, make our risk smaller and to produce a car and come to the grid because in the beginning it was really because so many teams failed doing this we, we couldn't take any risks to fail as well you know especially as an US team and we know all the history there so uh, 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 we went there and what they are doing they are providing us engineering services which are led by our own people like all the aero department is our people they, they, they supply services like the uh, model makers they supply that service but also they've got a big manufacturing facility Dallara and Dallara Composite, and they produce, for example, the top, but the, the design of the top, which is the chassis of the car, it's done in collaboration with us. They, they have got some uh, people which work full-time for us uh, on our behalf, but they are employed by Dallara. So, and then they produce us, we do all the testing there because they are certified by the FIA to do all the, all the testing, so they do a lot of that stuff for us on the chassis, on the structural parts of the car, the, the front and rear wing, and all them parts. So they, they, they are a very integral partner of our program. And it's so multinational. 
what you guys do? Because obviously you've got the base in the US, you've got the base in the UK, you've got Delara. I mean, how American is this team? I think it's very American. The owner, uh, Mr. Gene Haas, uh, uh, is American. Uh, his uh, his uh, company, Haas Automation, which uh, uh, pr- produces machine tools, uh, is American. So uh, we've got the, uh, the administration and headquarters is in the United States. It's now maybe the smallest part of the tree, but uh, I think it comes back that that is where the headquarter is, that where the administration is, all the finance, HR is run out of from there. I'm, I'm there as well, uh, some of the time when I'm not traveling somewhere else, but uh, uh, I think it, it is American, but the biggest thing is uh, Mr. Haas is American and we run our American license. If Gene Haas knew in 2014 what he knows now about Formula One, do you think he would have still done it? Good question. <laughs> I mean, for, the, easy answer would be, uh, the easy answer would be, uh, go and ask him, obviously, but we cannot because he's not here today. Uh, I think what surprised him is the complexity of the sport. First, the complexity of the technology, because the technology is amazing in this sport, but also the complexity of the business and the politics in here. I think he wasn't aware of this. He can cope with it, but now to give you the answer, would, would or would he not have done it anyway? I don't really know, but I think it surprised him a little bit how much more uh, complex this sport is in all the elements compared with uh, racing in, in NASCAR, where he owns a team as well, Stuart Haas Racing, he owns as well. So I think if he compares us with that one, uh, I, I, I think for sure technology-wise it's more uh, complex uh, in all aspects it's more complex but again I couldn't answer you uh, that what about that what about the financial aspect of it I think financially uh, uh, the aim for uh, for Mr. Haas is to he, his machine tool company is it's big it's the only remaining one in the United States he produces everything there uh, he, he, he got a big a huge market share there but for him the uh, name recognition globally uh, uh, was not great and and for him, Formula One was a, a, a way to bring it to the world, the name. And I think because F1 is a global, very big global sport, which still works. And I think it worked. So, yes, it is very expensive, Formula One. But if you use it right, I think it, can, it makes the return just to bring your company or whatever you want to promote uh, uh, to, uh, to, get, the, uh, to has, get the investment back. Gunter, has Formula One been more expensive than he was expecting or has it come in pretty much at that level? I, I think everything <laughs> in life is more, more expensive <laughs> than you want it to be. You know, a, that is an easy, that's, a fair that's, point. An easy, that's an easy answer, you know. <laughs> I said, no, yeah. I, if I say no, he thought it, was, uh, uh, it is pretty cheap. I mean, <laughs> yeah. uh, even if it is cheap, it, it would be still expensive because sure. no, uh, 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 Formula One is a very expensive sport and yeah. maybe that surprised him as well a little bit yeah. how much money it takes. And, you know, and I think we, we can just survive in this environment because uh, we got a little bit of a different business model and we, are, we try to be very efficient. We are by, by far the smallest team here, you know, uh, 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 people-wise. How many people are you? Uh, we, we are employed, we are about 200 and then we have got some people con- contracted, subcontracted from the Lara, which is about, I would say, 60, 60, 70. So yeah. we are not even 300 people, we are between 250 and 280 because it's fluctuating a little bit, but by far we are the smallest one here. How difficult was it to sell the Formula One dream to Gene? Can you just talk us through how you met him, how the conversations went? Uh, I mean, uh, I had this business plan and uh, 
I was introduced to Jean by uh, Joe Castro, which is uh, Jean's right-hand man in NASCAR. Uh, and I met Joe when I worked in NASCAR, obviously. I didn't know, I didn't, uh, uh, know Jean before. And then one day we just met. And uh, when, when you say how difficult it was to convince, Jean doesn't get convinced. He needs to convince himself. It's, 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 Gene knows exactly what he wants. He's very, he's, he's very smart in these things, you know. I needed just to explain him. He made his own decision. For me, it was not a selling job. I, I couldn't sell it. I saw that immediately with Gene. Either he wants to do it or he doesn't want to do it. I cannot sell it. That was my opinion, you know. So I talked him through, always very honest and straightforward, as I do. How, how I see it, how it is, and then the decision is yours if you want to do it or not. But what's interesting is you already had a business plan. So although you had a business in America and you'd been working in NASCAR, you wanted to come back to Formula One. I would say uh, I saw the opportunity at the time uh, uh, to do something because all, all these small teams, they were struggling. And the, at the time, there was this opportunity to, uh, it was talked about, it, it, it never materialized to have customer cars. And uh, I'm a good friend of Stefano Domenicali at the time, the, the, the team principal at Ferrari. So I spoke with Stefano and said, if this is happening, could, could, would it make sense to have the customer cars based in the United States because they live there already uh, and, and things like this. And this model, how we developed it, developed over time together with Gene, you know, like how we do this best, how we, how we get the most efficiency out of doing F1 because just doing... Because, again, I go back to the teams which were not successful. Just doing more of it, like they did, will not work. We realized if you have to do everything yourself, we cannot do it. You need to be a big OEM, and it takes you five years. And we didn't want to do it. I mean, you know, that was not interesting. So, uh, because these teams which failed, they were not stupid people. They were very smart people. They were good people. It's just like it's such a difficult task doing F1, and people still underestimated. And I never underestimated it with Gene, and I think that's what he believed in me. I said, this is difficult. This is not like, oh, let's go and build a car and go racing, you know. Know, this is so difficult. So we just said, just doing more of the same as the other ones will not guarantee us success. Obviously, our model, we weren't sure if it is successful or not, but at least we needed to try to do something different. And in the beginning, when we told people how we're going to do this, we have got a place in the US, a place in the UK, they said, this will never work. I said, but doing more of the same doesn't work, so uh, we need to try to, some, to do something different. And we had, I would say, 98% of the people, when we came up with our plan, they, they, they said, this will never work. They will be gone in a year or two, but we are still here. You're definitely still here. Now, there's two interesting points you raise. One is, do you feel that your business model is almost killing the traditional business model of Formula One, the, the McLarens, the Williams, who do everything themselves? You've come in, and you're more competitive than them. First of all, I don't want to kill anybody, just to make that one clear. Yeah, no. But, but, <laughs> no, <laughs> no just, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> but do you see what I mean? It's kind of, you know, I, I, you've changed, I, the, the, the goalposts are now moved. What we didn't change, we didn't say that they cannot do what they want to do. They can decide. We didn't take away options. The options was there for them as well. If they take it, fine. If you don't take it, feel free. I'm not saying you should go away. Everybody can do within the regulation what they won. That's my opinion. It's, it's a free world. If it is written there that you're allowed to do this, 
why not doing it like this? And you cannot say, you killed my business model. No, uh, I'm not. You can, you can still do whatever you want because it works for some. It works for Ferrari, it works for Mercedes. They have got a completely different business model than us and they are world champion. So I'm, I'm, I'm sure McLaren and, 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 and Renault and, and Williams, they could come back if they are good at it, uh, to do it that business model. I'm not saying they should not do what they're doing. Feel free to do whatever you want as long as it's in the rules. Yeah. Second point you raise is, you know, everyone, there were lots of dissenters out there saying that, 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 that the model was going to fail with the America and Banbury in England and Delara. Where have, how have you succeeded where USF1 failed effectively? Now, for, for people listening who aren't aware of USF1, uh, it was a team that almost came into being about, oh, was it 10 years ago now, maybe? Yeah, I think it was 10, yeah. And it was going to be run out of, what was it, uh, Charlotte, wasn't it, in the US? But that never happened. Why do you think your um, model has worked, whereas theirs didn't? I think the biggest difference is... Uh, the reason I'm asking yeah. you this is because you worked a little bit with USF1, am I my right? My company worked, your, yeah, my company, company worked. You have yeah, a composite yeah. company in, 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 uh, in Charlotte, in America, yeah. yeah. I think they, uh, they, there was an underestimation of how difficult it is. And, and again, I want to go back, and I, I, I'm not saying, I, I, I think Ken and, and Peter had a very good idea, you know, to make a team in the US. But I, I think they, they didn't know the complexity of the sport, technically to start off with, and then also financially. Uh, I, I think one of the, uh, of the big things, they didn't have a, a, a good backup behind financially. And secondly, I think technically they underestimated the task. It's, it's something unbelievable here. Mm. Okay, so it's as simple as that. Yeah, it's, it's very simple. Well, look, how, how has, I mean, it's interesting underestimating the task, and how has Formula One changed during your time in it from when you joined Jaguar back in 2001? How, has, how different is it today? Everything is just, it's, Formula One is, is moving at such a pace, uh, the technology of the cars, the, the, the finances, they go up every year because the technology goes up. Can, uh, we talk, can we talk money in terms of how much, what's your budget? Or do you want to, can you Yeah, can you I, 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 I don't want to go into figures, no. but uh, I, I don't remember, I would need to take the books out from 2001, but it's, it's, it has changed dramatically, and if you're talking... Double? Oh, a little bit more than that. I right. mean, okay. you know, it, it's quite for, for a for a big team. I, I think it has six, seven times the big ones. You know, it, it's huge how we go. Mm. But the technology. But I, I wouldn't even go back to two thousand and one. Just go back to five years. Look at the car from five years ago to one of the cars now. It's or look six years when we had the V eight engine here. And now look at the hybrid uh, uh, power units we run now. I, I mean, the technology, it, it moves at such a pace, it's amazing. I mean, it's the same with the, if you go from last year, from 18 to 19, with the regulation, we said we simplify the error. All of a sudden, we go already faster. We simplify. Can you imagine if we wouldn't have done it, how fast we would be? It, it, it's amazing the, uh, how fast it moves, you know. I don't think there is a lot of industries which move at this speed. I think there is some industries like in, in, in computer science and things like this, they, they move pretty quick. But, but what we are doing in, in all senses, you know, it's, it's, it's amazing. 
It is, isn't it? And no other form of motorsport moves this fast either. And you've got lots of experience outside of Formula One. Formula Absolutely. One is unique, isn't it? Uh, it's unique. I mean, that what, I think that's what makes Formula One unique. And, but also the investment, the financial investment, it's so unique, bigger than any other form of motorsport as well. We don't have to forget about that. Now, look, Gunter, you've got a fascinating backstory. And um, let's just touch on that now. How, how for example did the opportunity with Jaguar come about? Your first foray into Formula One. Uh, again, one of the strange stories of my life is, is like I, I, I worked for Ford in World Rallying. I was the uh, technical director of the Ford Focus, which Colin McRae drove. And uh, uh, when, when that is what they tell me, because at the time I didn't know Nicky Lauda. When Nicky Lauda took over uh, Jaguar or as a team principal, he was looking for people and he asked somebody at Ford because at the time Jaguar was, was owned by Ford and the sport manager was the same, motorsport manager, and he uh, said, do you know any people I could speak with, you know, to, to employ? And I said, yeah, I speak with this guy. And one day I got a telephone call from Nicky's secretary saying, Mr. Lauda would like to talk with you. I said, ah. Nicky Lauda was one of my, let's say, uh, uh, childhood people I looked up to because I was watching him driving in Formula One, uh, the McLaren uh, and the Ferraris, the whole thing. So, sure, I was going to speak with Nicky Lauda. He's a legend, you know. <laughs> Nicky's a legend. So, uh, can you call him back? Sure. So, I called him back and he said, can we meet? Oh, sure. So, I was in Vienna two weeks later, so we met for dinner. And then, uh, the next day, he called me, I'm going to employ you. I said, all right. <laughs> and, and, and then we spoke a little bit and there where it started in Formula One. As simple as this. Very simple stories, but they, they are like this, you know. So, and then, uh, this was about, I think, March, April uh, of 2001, and I started end of 2001 because I had to finish uh, the, the homologation of the Ford Focus for the next year. That, that was the fourth people told Nicky, you cannot take Gunther out of this program because it hurts us. And then I went uh, and worked and, with And him. how much of a wrench was it for you to leave rallying? Because you'd cut your teeth in rallying, you'd worked your way up through various teams... It is difficult, but uh, uh, at some stage you always want to, to grow, you know, and, and f for me, the going to F1 and working for Niki Lauda was equaling the, the, uh, uh, the, the, the challenge and uh, what I wanted to do. You know, for, for me, uh, Niki Lauda was a very successful entrepreneur and uh, you always want to move a, a forward and this was a good opportunity, which I said, you know, I shouldn't miss. They always say you should never meet your heroes. You've worked for one of yours. What, what was it like to work for Nicky? What's he like on a day-to-day -day basis? I, I had one of my best years professionally with Nicky, you know, because, I mean, he, 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 I, just, I just get on with him. I still speak with him frequently, uh, obviously less in the moment because he's recovering from his operations or from his health issues. But I always, uh, even after I left uh, Jaguar, we always were in con contact, you know, we, we, uh, I went to see him. I mean, uh, I, I had a great time. I, I always try to learn from people as much as I can because I, I think he's not only a good racer, he is very... He, what, what impresses me with him is, is a determination to want to do something. And, and that you just get when you work with him, how he does it, you know, how we need to get there. And if you need to get there, you have to get there. Otherwise, you're not happy. So why, with all his experience, your experience as well, why did the Jaguar thing not perhaps reap the rewards some people within Jaguar were, were expecting? I remember, was it Jack Nasser telling me once that he wanted to turn up at a racetrack and 
currently all the red Ferrari flags. He wanted them to be green to show the Ferrari, uh, that Jaguar was successful. Why didn't that team succeed? I think, I wouldn't say the problem. There, there was a lot of, of, of issues with Ford Motor Company about profitability, the cost of Formula One, and there was a lot of changes in Jack Nassau left. So the, the, the guy which wanted to create this had left. So uh, Professor Reitzler was there, he left. So there, there was the, 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 uh, this political uproar in the company away from us where we didn't have access to because we were the last boys in, you know. So uh, I, I think it all went wrong from there, uh, from the big plan from Jack Nassau to have the, the, the sea of green and invest money and make it happen. It was like, how can we do this cheapest and uh, uh, outsmart everybody else by being cheap? And at the time... It didn't work. It just didn't work out because uh, and Nikki wasn't given enough time. I for sure wasn't given enough time. I started in December and left in December, so in a year. But the car the year after was a lot better already. But in Formula One, you cannot come in and expect uh, magic, you know. So, uh, but but I think that there was the, the biggest thing was the, the really high up political of the corp of the fourth corporate. We are not behind the program anymore. They left it alone. They didn't want it to happen anymore. The, 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 the godfather of it, Jack Nasser left, Professor Reisler left. That was it. So too much movement at the top. Correct. Yeah. Now, how about your garden? Because you spent the whole of 2003 on gardening leave. It's great. <laughs> <laughs> but, but, I mean, what did you do for a whole year? Because you were not allowed to work, yeah. were you? It, it's... I mean, it's pretty nice uh, uh, not to do anything uh, for a year because I, I normally, or I normally, I always work very hard and uh, there, there was nothing, I mean, you couldn't work, so there is a lot of you have to catch up because if you, if you work in this, I work in motorsport now, it is uh, over 30 years, I need to count it now, 33 years this year that I work in motorsport, so if you have uh, a year off, in between, uh, you just catch up with things you need to do. You know, I painted my house. I did everything myself. You know, it's just like you always find things to do if you want them to do. You know, so it, 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 it's sometimes for sure it gets a little bit boring, but then you go on holiday. <laughs> but look, you then, garden was sorted, house was painted. You then do a brief stint in the DTM, but then the lure of Formula One came back and um, you went to Red Bull. How different, obviously the same team effectively that Jaguar had been, same factory in Milton Keynes in the UK. Um, how different was the vibe under Red Bull ownership compared to the Ford Motor Company? What I would say, Red Bull wanted to get going. Mr. Mateschitz, he, 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 at Jaguar it was always, how, how little can we spend uh, to do anything or, or do we really want to do this? Everything was in doubt, while Mr. Mateschitz was, I want to be world champion one day. And it was like he wanted to get going. It, it, it's a completely different uh, uh, way of doing business. It, it's, it's, it's one was very the conservative way. Can, can, can we do this different not spending money? Uh, no. Uh, you need to spend a certain amount of money. I'm not a money waster, but there needs to be a base of it, you know. Because as I always say, there's not many stupid people in Formula One. You know, there's not many of them here. So, uh, and in Red Bull, when, when, when uh, Red Bull came in, it was like, uh, what do we need to do to get better? Okay, so then when Mateschitz then says to you, tell you what, Gunther, let's go NASCAR racing. Um, that's a slightly left field thing to do. Um, what was your thought process when he put that to you? Uh, it, it is in the first instance, it was like, uh, okay. I mean, I didn't know 
anything about Nazca, to be honest, at the time. I know that it existed for obvious reasons, but not, not, not any detail. But I always had also, when I was uh, younger, uh, uh, did this dream to live in the United States. And, you know, but I never thought I can make it happen because... Can I just stop you there? What was it about? Land of opportunity? What was it about? Correct. Land of America. opportunity. America. You know, I mean, it's, it's, this, it's this American dream, which somehow I think my generation still, still, still have or had, you know. So, uh, but, but never, uh, I, I never actively looked into it, you know. I, I looked maybe once or twice, but not seriously. And then this came up and I said... It would be actually nice to learn about the new thing. As I said, I always want to learn new things. And going to America wouldn't be bad for a few years. You know, so I spoke with my wife, obviously, as you have to do. Of course. What she should be doing. You know, <laughs> yeah. And uh, she was not opposed to it. And then we looked a little bit uh, more and said, yeah, uh, uh, let's do it. And how difficult a project was it? As you say, you didn't know that much about NASCAR. Where do you begin uh, They had already a, a small base there, the American... Uh, I think he was the CEO of, was a big fan of NASCAR. The CEO of Red Bull Drinks Company in the States was a big fan of NASCAR. So they had a small base of it, but uh, uh, what, what Mr. Matashitz asked me to bring in is like, bring F1 uh, into that one and try to make progress. It's what I find, it is a completely different world. And I, I would not say it's better or worse, it's just different. And you need to live with that one. It's a very strange thing when you, when you say, it's just different, you know. And I had to readjust it because you couldn't take an F1 approach because it wouldn't work there. Whatever you do, it, couldn't, it wouldn't work. So, and, and I realized that pretty quick, you know. That's the only thing I realized pretty quick. But I had a lot of learning to do because I, 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 I wasn't exposed to that one. And that's for I say, when, when you asked me before about uh, why USF1 didn't succeed. It's, it's just like I didn't have the experience in NASCAR and then I realized this is all different, you know. I underestimated what it is, you know. It's actually quite complex as well, but in its own way. And you have to learn, it takes time. So it took us a little bit of time, and, uh, uh, but uh, it, it wasn't easy because you have adopted a completely different culture, you know, uh, of doing things. And I think for me it was good to learn this. What is different about the racing culture in America? It, it, it's, it's a more uh, simplistic way of going racing. And simplistic, I don't mean as negative, I mean it as positive. It's about racing. It's not about the politics. It's not about anything else. It's about going racing. So uh, uh, technology is not a, a big factor in it. That's a, a side factor. So while in F1, technology is over everything, uh, uh, science is over everything, in, uh, uh, in NASCAR racing it's more about the gut feeling, the experience, it's get more, it, it got more sophisticated in the last years, like everything it evolves, but not at the rate like Formula 1. What could Formula 1 learn from NASCAR? Sometimes to keep things a little bit simpler than we do. And in, I mean in general, you know, just in general, like make, make our life a little bit easier. But less of a reliance on technology, do you think? No, because, I mean, I maybe contradict myself here, but Formula One, it's about technology. If we take technology away from Formula One, it's not Formula One anymore. Then we have got, an, uh, 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 we have got a, a single-seater series, which we have got enough around in the world. Formula One lives of technology. I, I, I just would say the approach of how we deal with each other and how we want to bring the business forward. That's that, that what we should learn in the United States. And did your time in NASCAR help you understand people like Gene Haas? Do you feel that if you hadn't had that experience in NASCAR, perhaps it wouldn't have been such a smooth transition working at Haas for Haas? 
absolutely, 100%, without that experience there and understanding the culture, or, I mean, understanding the culture is maybe a big word, but uh, it's getting to know the culture, it's better, because understanding takes a long time. Uh, it, it's, uh, uh, for me personally, it was a good thing, I admit that one, because you think a little bit different. If you're in Formula One or European motorsport, you get very blinker view of everything. But if you go different places, like everything in life, more things you see, uh, a wider perspective you get. That's always my opinion. And I got a lot of that. And as you said, if I would not have worked in NASCAR, Gene, uh, I think, would not, I could not explain what, what we are planning to do like I could having been there. Now, there have been three phases to your career. There's the rallying phase, the Formula One phase, and NASCAR. Which of those three have you enjoyed the most? I enjoyed them all because they're part of my life and my career. I enjoyed them all in their, in their, uh, in different elements. As, as uh, motor racing, I would say uh, for sure I, 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 technology and all that stuff, Formula One, because it's the pinnacle of motorsport. For sure you have to enjoy that best because it would be easy to go back to do something different. But this is what I like and the challenge every day, it's complex and maybe I say things here like we should make it easier, but maybe I'm in here because I want it complicated. You know, yeah. that for maybe we are all here. <laughs> yeah. There is never... Uh, Massacres. Yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> uh, I confuse people here by saying these things, but that is uh, how I yeah. see it. But I enjoyed all, all parts of it. I mean, rallying in the day, it was great. Uh, I haven't been on a rally a long time now, but what people tell me, it has changed a lot as well. In the old day, when I went sometimes testing with Carlos Sainz, his son drives now in Formula One. Uh, uh, we were away a month testing and wrecking. We were on our own. We had no cell phones, no computer, nothing. Because at the time, in the 90s, it didn't exist. It was a real adventure back yeah, then. Exactly. It was, that was the element of adventure. Was was great. I mean, if you're in your, in your 20s and, and be allowed to do that, or have, have the opportunity to do this, it's, it's fantastic. But now, would I would like to stay up five nights in a row and, and sleep in, in a car for two hours and nap? No, I'm too old for that. But at the time, it was fantastic. Learning in NASCAR, learning about the culture, learning something new was great. I mean, I still live in the United States because I like it there. That gave me the opportunity to do that one. So there is always great things to do, and I have nothing negative to say about any of them. Now, what about Carlos Sainz? Um, what kind of a driver was he? And when you were working for Ford and rallying with him, did you meet Junior? No, I know when Junior was born because I worked for Carlos, actually. Yeah. I, 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 I was his mechanic. And uh, I, I, I mean, I have a great deal of respect for Carlos. Uh, he, he, How good was he? he? He was very good, but what was good, if he could focus so hard on something to get it. Like, no, I, I worked with a lot of great drivers, with Colin, Kankunen, uh, 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 all these people, Salonen, even older people, but nobody was as... Uh, if, if, if you drew Carlos a bone, he didn't let go. He wanted to do it. He was very professional. I learned a lot in, in my... Uh, how I conduct business, how, I, how I'm from Carlos. You know, just... You need to be always correct. You need to do what you say you're going to do. There is no... There, there is nothing grey with Carlos, it's either black or white. And I'm, I'm very similar to him, but I learned a lot from him how to conduct like you need to be professional, always prepared, work hard, you know. Uh, I, I think talent-wise, there was people better than him, but nobody as a package at his time was better than him because he had talent and the determination and the professionalism to put it all together. That's why he was world champion. And what a great teacher for Carlos Jr. as well, not just Gunter Steiner. <laughs> I, I mean... 
Carlos will get upset now if he hears this, but he can be also a pain in, you know, in the backside <laughs> sometimes. So I hope he's, he's not a, with his He's son. a racing driver or he, rally driver. Yeah. yeah, but but Carlos is special on that one, you know. But I hope. But I I, I think he he knows exactly how to how to help uh, Junior Carlos Junior mm. in his career. He's very good at it. Okay. Now, um, a moment ago we were talking about America. I just wanted to ask you um, about life in America because. The family is still over in Mooresville, North Carolina. And how is it? How is your daughter, who's 10, is, gonna, is she growing up American rather than Italian, for example? Yeah, it's her birthday today, actually, you know. Oh, <laughs> happy birthday. birthday. <laughs> uh, so uh, living in America is very good. I mean, uh, you know, I, I enjoy it, or we enjoy it uh, as a family. Uh, I always go back to my, my place in northern Italy, uh, in the summer holidays, uh, we still got an apartment there. Uh, we go there two, three weeks. So, so she is exposed to different cultures. That's what I, that what I think gave, uh, helped me a lot in my career because I grew up in Italy but speaking German. So I, I, I understand German culture, I understand Italian culture, and now I understand American culture, which helps you a lot when you deal with people and when you want to do something, that uh, uh, there is differences and you need to respect cultures. That's what you learn mainly. Uh, learning about cultures, for me, is respecting them. Mm. So, because we all do things different and uh, uh, my daughter, uh, uh, she's growing up in America. You know, she goes to school there, but uh, she's exposed quite a bit also to Northern Italy culture. And uh, uh, so I, I hope that's an advantage for her, but uh, we like it there. And in the moment, there is no plan to go anywhere. I've got my company there in the United States with, with my business partner, so that's doing well. So uh, no plans to do anything different. How often do you get back? I, I go back between each race. Back to backs, I sometimes don't go back, but even last year when the triple header was, I went back even only for two days because, first of all, I want to see my family. And then I, I think if you're just on the road, uh, you miss something. You sometimes need, need to go back to base, you know, put yourself back to base to uh, reorganize your thoughts and then have a go at it again. Reset. Yeah. So we're talking in Bahrain. Have you been back to North Carolina since Melbourne? Yes, I, I went straight from Melbourne to North Carolina uh, and then uh, flew to uh, London. On I, I left North Carolina Sunday night late and flew to London because we had a, a strategy meeting on Tuesday uh, and then came from London to Bahrain on Wednesday lunchtime I started there. So you actually have three homes. You've got one in North Carolina, one in Northern Italy and one at 37,000 feet, haven't you? Correct. I was going to say, <laughs> the, 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 the third one, it's somewhere, you know, and it, it, it's a lot on the plane, yeah. Well, Gunter, it's been a fabulous career. I suppose final question from me is, where did this passion for motorsport come from? Because you're a guy who's from a rural bit of northern Italy. There's not a lot of motorsport around there. Um, you know, was your dad into it or what, what can you say? No, actually, uh, my family isn't into it. In, in, the, in that part of, of Italy, there is no motorsport. Uh, or at the time, there was one race, a hill climb, European Championship, and uh, called uh, a Piano Mendola. And uh, that was the only event which happened. But uh, already as a kid, I was always interested in fast cars, but mainly racing cars. And I came, I don't know where from, and I always begged my father 
to take me to, to this race. And I don't remember how old I was when I went the first time, but I was pretty young. Uh, uh, so, and uh, then there is uh, another race in the neighboring province, basically, and we went to that one as well because I begged him. My father actually wasn't really interested in, in motorsport. For sure, at the time, he, 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 he watched a little bit of F1 because it was in the 70s when I was a kid, so, uh, but, but not passionate about it. And uh, I, I just always had this, and uh, somehow I ended up here. Did you ever go to the Austrian Grand Prix or Italian Grand Prix at Monza? Uh, I went to one Grand Prix as a spectator. That was in... I was 18 years old because I think uh, 18 or 19 because I, I was in the army and uh, the Austrian Grand Prix. Uh, I, I just went there with two friends uh, and, and we just like you do when you're young, you come out, you party a little bit and we had good fun. But otherwise, uh, uh, when I started Formula One, my next Grand Prix was uh, when I was in my 30s. I was invited by Ford uh, when Ford in the beginning bought Jaguar to, uh, uh, or maybe it was, no, it was Stewart still, Stewart GP when Ford sponsors. Stuart GP, I worked for fourth on the rally car, so I went to a Grand Prix as a guest. So when you were at the Austrian Grand Prix, aged 18, was it like a eureka moment for you in that you saw the cars, you smelt the fuel, the tyres, and thought, this is what I want to do with my life? Because Toto Wolff, funnily enough, on, on one of these Beyond the Grid podcasts, said it was when he was stood on the grid at a Formula 3 race at the Nürburgring, he said it was like a lightning bolt for him. Did it have that effect on you? No, I wouldn't say. I mean, I, I was enjoying myself. I liked it. I followed it. But uh, where, where I come from, there, there, there was never, uh, I, I never thought the opportunity would come along to do this. You know, it, it's, it's a strange thing. Uh, I didn't think I can ever do this. I enjoyed myself and had fun with my friends and, and watched the race. Now, what about your feel for the history of the sport? Because did you know, for example, that your birthday, 7th of April, has a sort of tinge of sadness about it because it was the 7th of April in 68 of course that Jim Clark was killed at Hockenheim do you were you aware of that no I wasn't aware <laughs> my my my, uh, my knowledge of history in F1 it's, it's actually bad I wouldn't say little bad it's really bad because it's uh, it's one of those things I sometimes when people ask me during the season you remember the race five six races ago I, I sometimes don't even know where, where we finished if we didn't have a good result I I, I just uh, it's just not what I like to do. I mean, uh, it's, I, I respect the history and, and, and uh, uh, deal with it, but it's not something I, I, which I'm passionate about. That I always try to look forward. What can we do, not what was done? How can you make history, I suppose? I mean, hey, that brings us on, really, to, um, you know, this year, Haas, what would you be happy with? I would be happy with Ford. Obviously, if we come fifth, I'm still happy. But uh, last year, we missed out on Ford uh, uh, because of our own doing. We made the too many mistakes. Uh, this year, it seems like we have got a, a pretty good car again. And uh, we try to get forward. But uh, the most important thing is that we grow as a team, that uh, we keep on going forward, that we get better. And then the results come automatically. So uh, we need to make less mistakes and hopefully we finish up fourth. And you think you've got the drivers to do that? Quick word on Roman and, and Kevin Magnussen. Yeah, I think where we are at, uh, and, and now especially they are a long time with us, they know us, they know what we can do, what they can do. There is good uh, uh, feeling chemistry between all of us, engineers, drivers, drivers between them. So I, I think we've got the drivers uh, for where we are. Uh, I, I couldn't see, 
mean, there are, there is a few around which are equal for sure, you know, and uh, depending on the day, they could be better, but they could be worse. But it's a, a in that midfield, the mix of drivers is pretty good in the moment. So uh, you get one guy which is better on one circuit, one guy better on the other. So and then I think we are very comfortable with our two uh, because they are with us a, a long time and they know, and we don't have to learn to get to know each other anymore. And I'm guessing that. Um middle of last year when Roman was having his problems. It's a very desirable team, Haas, now. Did you have a lot of drivers knocking on your door saying, <clears throat> Did Roman have ever a problem last year? <laughs> <laughs> I've seen the Netflix. <laughs> no, uh, uh, seriously. No, uh, sure. Uh, I mean, there was, uh, I would say people were asking, but mm. I, I think last year a lot of people... I guess, and I'm not sure about it because nobody told me, thought that it was a, a one-year wonder, I would call it, because we were pretty competitive. But again, it seems like this year we have got a two-year wonder. But uh, there was some people uh, investigating. But uh, to be honest, we never really looked in. I rather wanted to, how should I call it, fix Roman, because we know how quick he can be if he's in the right frame of mind. And that was my... My, my biggest issue, to get him back where, where he can be. You know, that was much more worth than trying to find the next one to me. And it seems that it worked out the second half of the season and uh, hopefully it works out the whole season this year. Hey, well, Gunther, yes, let's hope it works out. Thank you very much for your time. It's been wonderful to speak to you. Thank you. Yes, thank you. What you see is what you get with Gunter. He's very direct and has many similarities with the successful Austrians in our sport, such as his hero, Nicky Lauda. The F1 paddock is certainly a more colourful and interesting place for having him in it. Thanks for your time, Gunter. I really enjoyed our chat. And thanks too to Haas for the hospitality. Well, that's it for this episode. It's crazy to think that season two of Beyond the Grid is already four episodes old. But that's nothing compared to the great sport of Formula One, which celebrates its 1,000th race in China. And to help us celebrate, we've got an F1 legend behind the mic next week. No spoilers, but you're definitely not going to want to miss this one. The best way to ensure you don't miss it, or any episode for that matter, is to subscribe. That way, the latest episode of Beyond the Grid will be waiting for you every Wednesday. We're on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and tons of other podcast platforms. Thanks as ever for your feedback. It seems you enjoyed last week's episode with Luca de Montezemolo. Gary got in touch to say, I think I could listen to Luca's calm, sing-song Italian accent all day. Well, me too, Gary. It was an illuminating chat, wasn't it? And remember, you can drop me a line on Twitter at TomClarksonF1. Beyond the Grid is produced by F1 in association with Audioboom. Until next time, keep it flat out. <laughs>